0: You are listening to Habs and Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com.
1: As they battle in the corner, Caulfield picks it up front, scores! Series
2: winner, Tyler Coppoli! And the Canadians are the kings of the north! Hello and welcome to an exuberant podcast of, of today. It's... It's the day after the big elimination game, a 4 0 win to, to, to Montreal against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, I'm joined here by uh, three other people. So we're four on the pond today. Dylan Waugh, um, half statistician podcast, but, but you're, you're changing tune now. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, how are you today?
3: I can't complain, Patrick. How are you guys?
2: Uh, we're fine. It's, it's early summer. Can't complain afternoon you know so it's time for 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 one of those uh, vitamin drinks with um, lots of vitamins in it in a second or two uh, i'm also joined by jared book yes i am here and uh, you you survived last night's uh, party <laughs> in montreal as well
0: i didn't leave my house patrick didn't leave <laughs> no, my
2: house that's, that's why you survived now <laughs> uh, we saw the pictures and and uh, I can understand after a year of lockdowns, after a year of, of, of hockey without a crowd and, and the happiness that, that goes on in Montreal right now, even as a non montrealer but as a fan, I, I can understand what it means. It's obviously been different in Sweden and going to Sweden, we got Gunnar Ups. No, I mean, Anton Rossegord obviously joining us as well. How are you, Anton?
1: I'm fine, I'm great actually. It's June and we're still we still have Montreal playing hockey, so it's just it's one of these rare occasions where you can just enjoy both summer and playoff hockey and actually be uh you know looking forward to uh, even better times hopefully.
2: Yeah, I have to say, like last time Montreal went this far in the playoffs, that's when I started to grow my beard. so uh, yeah, and you you, you haven't
1: cut it since, right.
2: Oh, I have cut it. I don't look like Dylan. (laughs) Uh, But, but yeah, any, any reactions to last night's game? I mean, Dylan, you wrote one of the takeaways.
3: It was, uh, it was awesome. I mean, we just, we pretty, pretty thoroughly beat them. Like, you know, I think I might've written or maybe I had to scrap it because of the amount of words I was getting to, but like, Winnipeg was doing a better job of breaking up our cycle than they've been doing all series, but that was still a pretty bad job they were doing.
2: <laughs> yeah, but they had a, they had a great goalie. Let's, let's face it, we might have been harsh on Hellebuck before, but last night he showed his pedigree and, and why he's one of the top goalies in the world.
3: I had, uh, I had Paul Campbell, who writes for In Goal magazine on my podcast, and, and the first thing he said is, Hellebuck is weak skating. And so he does really well in screens, but moves poorly laterally. And that's exactly what we saw on that Caulfield to Foley goal. I mean, you can't help but to feel with what Price did to Shifley and to Mitch Marner in this series that uh, a goalie like Price might have uh, been able to have that, but it, it never felt like uh, Hellebuck had a chance on that shot.
2: And you can really see he's throwing the stick even when the puck is already in the net. So, so yeah, he was a little bit, a bit behind. But obviously, it's a great goal, and we can we can listen to it, we can we can watch it. I'm, I I listen to Matt Drake's podcast, The Bottom Six Minutes, on my way to work today, and it's perfect because it comes out like just when I'm about to leave for work. Uh, and he had the goal in, and I had goosebumps <laughs> all over my arms listening to that call again. Um, Jared, were you surprised that it took so short time in the in the uh, overtime to to score that serious winning goal?
0: Yeah, a little bit. I, I, w- I was fearing that it would be triple overtime, like when Edmonton uh, lost to Winnipeg in Game Four. But yeah, I, I think that in in my mind, what ha- what happens in a game like that is that you know Montreal had so much confidence. Like you, you can tell this team, and I guess we'll get into it a little bit later, but you can just tell this team is so confident. Like it's not even like they're playing tactically well. They are obviously. But just everybody on this team looks like, yeah, we're going to score. And and it reminds me a lot of the Laval rocket because uh, there was a game early in the year where they were out shooting their, their opponents. And we spoke to Joe Blandisi after the game and he's like, yeah, you know, we know that if we just play our game and stick to our system, we're going to win at the end of the day. So, you know, it doesn't really bother us that we're getting lots of shots and not scoring. We know that if we just stick to our system, we're going to win. And I mean, that's basically what happened in game four, right? Like it's just they, they got tons of shots on the Hellebach. The Jets got a few dangerous chances, but not really. But uh, you just felt like it was a matter of time. And I, I think that you know, that winning goal was just so indicative of, of what makes this team so interesting and why this year thing you know feels so different. I mean, you have Cole Caulfield, who wasn't a member of this team last year. He wasn't a member of this team two months ago. And then you have Tyler Toffoli, who obviously wasn't a member of this team last year. And, you know, where would this team be without them? And I, and I think that that's part of the, the uh, enthusiasm around this team right now.
2: i just thought about something. And uh, Dryden got the colder in his second year. As as a as a rookie because he didn't play enough games the first year, it could actually be the same thing for for Cowfield. He could be rookie of the year next year, right?
0: Absolutely, absolutely he can. I mean, you know, Montreal is no stranger to players coming out of, you know, not nowhere, but players coming out and and excelling uh, with without being you know full time players in their first year. I mean, you know, nineteen eighty six, Patrick Wadd did did you know something similar as well, right? So. It's it's not uh, out of the ordinary, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I saw something from Chris Peter, I believe, or, or maybe it was somebody else. I forget exactly who it was on Twitter, but pointing out the uh, the players who won Hobie Baker uh, trophy and played in the playoffs the same year. And I, and uh, Cole Caulfield is now the, the player who has made it the farthest in the playoffs since Neil Broughton in 1981, and his team made it all the way to the Stanley Cup final before losing to the Islanders is his Minnesota North Stars team. So that that's, you know, it's very rare for a player to come in to a team and, and excel in the playoffs like, like Cole Caulfield has been doing. Without scoring, by the way. And I think we'll get into that as well. But that that's, you know, I don't think anybody expected him to make this much of an impact without one goal.
2: Listening to to Cassie Campbell Pascal last night on sports Sportsnet, it was I think she described it very, very well. You know, Kevin,
3: Caulfield's hockey IQ away from the puck, it's absolutely tremendous. You know, just that
2: ability to stay defensive side on the forecheck there, the puck comes right to him. His next play mentality is off the charts. What a play by Cole Caulfield. Hearing that, Anton, uh, uh, can can you relate? I mean, like, we've seen Caulfield being hailed as this shooter, this this goal-getter, but in the end, right now, or at least... Right now, at the start, maybe we should say, he comes out as a playmaker in the past.
1: I think that this season has been very... Um, I mean, this has been something... That, this season has is something that will form Cole Caulfield's career because he's always been you know, a great shooter, a great goal scorer. But the fact that the Canadians wanted to just let him be another year in Wisconsin, even though Wisconsin lost most of their good players... And he really had to carry the Badgers team. And he did so, especially after uh, winning the world juniors, Um, he did so in an impressive way where he really, he tried to, uh, well, he really carried that team in all regards, no matter if it was with points or just by, you know, leading the team as, as a 20 year old. Um, And it just, you could see and if you read David San Luis's articles about, um, you know, catching the torch about Cole Caulfield during the year, you could see as well. I mean, the just the growth in his overall play. And I think that is something that both the Canadians and Mark Bergevin, for example, I mean, he's been the GM for nine years now, he has learned from his mistakes in the past, where you kind of have had the similar, uh, similarly skilled uh, youngsters coming into the team too soon, trying to make an impact and they haven't been ready for, you know, the physicality, the tempo and just having an overall sound and solid game for the NHL level. And now you can see Cole Caulfield just, if he had just been the scorer, he would probably have been going into, this was his ninth game, I think in the playoffs. He hasn't scored and he would probably be, you know, annoyed by that because he's a goal scorer first. But now you just see that he has so many other elements and they have told him to shoot more and he does shoot more and he shoots well. He challenges a goaltender like Hellebuck. He, he keeps Hellebuck on his toes, but even when he doesn't score, he adds something to this team. He has never been the fastest skater. He will never be the fastest skater. He will obviously not be the strongest player because he's only 5'7", but he adds something in all regards, just the way that he helps Suzuki win the puck for that goal. And then he just sees uh, Toffoli instantly on the other side of the goal, on the other side of the crease there. And it's just a perfect pass. Toffoli he just has to do a tap-in. And that's from a 20-year-old rookie. And as I said, I think that this comes from just, you know, not... Hasting him into the lineup as he could have done already at the start of this season, but just letting him remain, letting him win the World Juniors, winning the Hobie Baker, and then coming into a team that needed this kind of skill set into the playoffs.
2: Dylan, you obviously play goalie, uh, maybe not at the same level as as, uh, Cole Caulfield plays, but you play goalie. How difficult are these shots that Caulfield are getting off?
3: Uh, I mean, placement is a huge thing, but uh, like there are little things in Caulfield's release that um, that do definitely make it uh, make it interesting. I'm I'm fairly used to at this point when I watch hockey, uh, even on TV, being able to kind of know where the puck is going from just watching the guy shooting it. And uh, and Caulfield, I don't always have that when he gets his time, but he's not always getting his time and he's not always getting his space to really uh, make it look good. I did want to just make one quick point. You guys were talking about um, Patrick Juan, Ken Dryden as two goalies that kind of came out of uh, seemingly out of the blue uh, to, to, to have incredible runs with the playoffs. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Carrie price, you know, just came out of the AHL before the playoffs this year. So we we might be looking at a third uh, Cinderella
2: story here. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm not sure if that Carey Price qualifies, but I get your point.
0: <laughs> yeah, Brendan Gallagher, too, actually, technically. Not. There you uh, go. This uh, is really uh, an AHL yeah. team.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not tell Toronto that. We, we, we don't <laughs> want to upset them even more. Uh, and, and there is this great tweet. It just came out of, of um, uh, Emily Kaplan. You really should follow her on Twitter as well. But uh, she got a text from, from a uh, NHL player last night saying, Montreal eliminated more teams in the last week than Toronto has in 17 years. And and, uh, that's a brilliant quote. And let's just move on from the Toronto bashing. (laughs) But Uh, I'm still a little bit sad watching uh, Steve Dangle the other night. Um, (laughs) What what really has surprised you guys? And and in in no specific order, I'm just tossing the question out there. What has surprised you this this series?
0: I I think... What, what surprises me the most is how I I think what, what, what made a difference is, is just how they've built momentum. Like all year we were waiting for this team to, to kind of get rolling uh, other than the first 10 games, basically, you know, it, it was like, okay, they won three in a row and then they lose next one. Or they, you know, especially the last stretch of the season, it was like, basically win one, lose one for, for the most part, except for like, you know, three games and, and, one of the things that really sticks out is once the the switch kind of flicked in game five against Toronto, how this team just kind of kept it rolling. You know, this is a team that didn't win more than three games in a row all year. And now we're talking about them winning seven straight. And it's it's kind of remarkable, but it's, it's really, I mean, you know, I don't want to say the halves are who we thought they were, but. The, the, the Canadians are kind of who we thought they were. It just took them a really long time to get to that point. But this is the team that we all believed in at the beginning of the season, right? Like, if you told people at the beginning of the season the Canadians would, you know, be in the final four, people would probably believe it. But they just never showed that except for the first, like I said, the first 10 games of the season and flash their brilliance here and there. So I think what, what surprised, not really surprised me, but just... We, we kept on expecting this to happen and, and now it, it is a, a really the
2: best time. You talk about peaking at the right time. <laughs> this is the right time. A regression to the mean with those two uh eight game streaks of losses, Dylan.
3: Uh yeah. I mean that was that was last year. This is almost a, a completely different team. Um the the thing that uh the thing that surprised me the most about this team was like when you look at how we beat Toronto, basically it was like we had to be at complete pedal to the metal, torrid pace, uh, controlling everything. And then when we got to Winnipeg, we managed to uh, dictate the game, but without doing it with everybody giving 110%. And so I think like our ability to modulate is something that really shocked me. I just kind of normally the kinds of teams that are able to beat other teams without you know, having their, their, their foot firmly on the gas. I'll come up with another analogy, I promise, at some point. But normally when teams uh, are able to beat another team without having their foot firmly on the gas, it's because they're like, you know, uber talented, like Tampa Bay Lightning or, you know, Colorado Avalanche or uh, Vegas Golden Knights recognize any of those names for the next round. But uh, the fact that Montreal was able to do that and to dictate their game without having to uh, play at a torrid pace was really surprising to me. And uh, I think really bodes well for Dominic Ducharme's coaching tenure, where I was definitely one of those people that was like, well, he's gone, get him out of here. And now I'm, I'm having second thoughts about that.
1: Yeah. I, I want to add on that because I think like if we look back just two weeks, I think that all of us, when the Habs were down three to one, we were kind of like just waiting for both the GM and the head coach to get the out of Montreal, right? We wanted a fresh start. We just felt like this team won't ever make it far in the playoffs because they they don't have a way of playing to their strengths. The head coach seems to actually make the team worse somehow than they were at the beginning of the season. They are less than the sum the sum of their parts. And I'm just wondering, like Dominique Ducharme, he has never been a head coach before for you know, uh, anything else than than junior teams, right? He has been an assistant coach here and then he comes up in the middle of the season when it's uh, the most crucial. You know that there are a lot of guys' jobs that are on the line because both Claude Julien, Kirk Muller, Stefan Waite, they were already gone, right? So you know that Mark Bergevin, who hired you, he won't be there for the next season if you don't do a good job. And then you have this insane schedule um, and, like, it gets even more insane because of the COVID break, and then you have all these injuries, and you have a Jonathan Drouin who, you know, just goes AWOL for the a remainder of the season. And we were we were asking all the time, like, you know, has Dominic Dutton actually been able to actually put his mark on this team? Is uh, is he just, like, ha- has he not been able to to train enough? And then I'm just wondering, like, I think that he was doubting himself as well. If he was ready for this kind of gig, being the head coach of an NHL franchise, his NHL franchise as well, because he's a French Canadian, right? And then when the Canadians started coming back against Toronto, I think that he actually grew into his costume for the first time. And I think that he felt, especially when the Canadians won that series, that I can actually do this and his confidence. And when you pair that with Carey Price's uh, surging confidence, Then you actually get that confidence kind of oozing out all over the team, starting from the back and from the booth. And then you can just see how everyone kind of stepped up their game after, well, basically after winning the overtime game in game five, right? And then they've just never looked back. And it just, if you see Dominic Trump now, he looks like a completely different guy than he was a couple of weeks ago. He's just walking with a different. It's just a different confidence in his overall, you know, press conferences. Everything, and it's just he. Had, I think that he is more ready now. I think that he feels like this is his team now. You won't be able to fire a guy who has come to the final four. Yeah,
0: no, it, it's it's definitely it's definitely his team now. Let's be honest. Uh, but but that, that that's a great point, Anton. I I just want to touch on that a little bit. Um, I asked Xavier Ouellette uh, after he was sent back down to the rocket because he obviously worked a lot with Joao Bouchard. He worked with Dominic Ducharme while you know he was with the NHL team. And I asked him, what are the similarities between the two? And he said that both of them teach. They don't, they don't coach to the score. They, they teach the process. They coach the process. So if you lose but play well, they'll let you know that. And if you win but play badly, they'll let you know that. And I think what we're seeing now is all that work that he put in of coaching the process, coaching the process, coaching the process. It's now starting to pay off with actual results. And, and I'm sure that he did doubt himself at times, but you can tell he is just confident right now. Like you talk I talked about confidence of the players before. You can tell that Dominic Ducharme is confident right now. And, you know, there, there was a time when, I mean, people were questioning everything he was doing. Why isn't Cole Caulfield playing? Why isn't Yasperi Kutkaniemi play, uh, playing? Why isn't Thomas Tatar playing? Why isn't Alexander Romanov playing? And I don't think you can argue of any of that right now. And, and, and I, yes, part of that is just the team coming together. But also, I mean, you know, if you would have told me that this team would be in the third round and Cole Caulfield, Yasperi Kutkaniemi, and Thomas Tatar have all been healthy scratches, like, who would have believed that going into this? But I think it's just he's, he's really finding his, his his niche right now. And the team is is coming together. And, and it's, it's a perfect mix right now. And, and the confidence is something that, you know, you, you can always see confidence on the other side, right? Like we saw this during the year where they were getting chances but not just not scoring. They, they didn't know what to do with the puck. They just couldn't get it done. And now we're seeing the flip side of that. You know, it, it seems like every time they touch the puck, something good is happening. And and that's the flip side of, of that confidence.
2: How important was that? I mean, being down 3-1, did Ducharme just toss the old game plan or or the old game book uh, out of the window and said, OK, let's run our own stuff now. This is how I want it to play. If we're going to go out, we're going to do it in my way or, or I'm going to own it um, rather than just, yeah. And, and we see the results now because um, I think you know, it was pointed out on Sportsnet. I wrote an article about it. It, it, it is really his team. It is, they have the confidence in, and, and trust him um, to, to go further. And the way he handles the TV timeouts or, or the regular timeouts, he as, as both of you say, his swagger is different, his confidence is different, his stature is different. There, there are so many things that are different about Ducharme in this way. And, and yeah, we were all second-guessing him after a very rough start. But, but right now, you cannot point to anything else and say, you know, he's doing very, very well. You cannot fault that. And it will be very interesting coming up against two of the arguably best teams, one of the two arguably best teams in, in, in the NHL, when the series between the Knights and uh, uh, the Avalanche comes to an end.
0: Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the, the thing with Ducharme is that process, and even Mark Bergevin to a certain extent, process didn't matter, right? They, they needed results. So when the team was down 3-1 to Toronto, you're like, okay, if this, this is how it's going to end, there's no way that they can stay with the same process. But then they got results. and And, and I don't think anybody could necessarily fault I mean, yeah, I mean, you could always second guess Bergevin bringing in, you know, Eric Stahl in, if they lost in, in five games or, you know, Eric Gustafson or, uh, you know, even, you know, Dominic Ducharme not playing Caulfield, not playing Kotkiniemi, not playing Romanov. All of that would be second guessable, you know, if they had lost. But in the end, they ended up getting results.
1: We also have to acknowledge the fact that Eric Stahl and Corey Perry had been invaluable in this series. It's just been – Eric Stahl was just – during the 21 games he played in the regular season for the Canadians, he looked lost, out of place, and just like he, he was about to hang them up. And then you see now that, well, he still has something to add, not in a major role on on a you know championship squad, but in a limited role where he can just take, take uh, advantage of his experience uh, and just um, – just the play along the boards that they've had on that fourth line now with Armia as well, it just feels like you have different roles on those lines that just makes it fun uh, for the coaching staff to just mix it up and you can just throw in any line um, for different kinds of situations. You have the Dano line that just shuts down whatever first line the other team is sending out there. And then you have the creative second line with uh, two scorers and a Nick Suzuki. Uh, and then the third line, well, we have seen way too less of Josh Anderson since he scored that first goal of the Toronto series, but, but Kotkaniemi has added his goals in the series. We also see like Arturi Lekkonen, for example, Uh, Jake Evans as well, before he got the concussion. We just see that basically if you have a smart and speedy uh, left winger, you can add that to the Dano and Gallagher line and they will, you know, thrive. It doesn't have to be a Thomas Tatar. And that's good to know since Thomas Tatar will probably in all probability leave the summer
3: I think that the like what it really comes down to is is what what we've seen with him is really like intuitive coaching whereas before it was like all about the process to the point of like insanity you know it just it, it reminds me of like you know Mike Babcock when when he was coaching the Leafs and they're on the brink of elimination and and like you know, they're down a couple goals and he doesn't put out Matthews. Matthews plays his 16 minutes a night. It's like, that's crazy. And meanwhile, you know, when we were on the brink of elimination, I think that was the night that Weber played like 40 minutes. Like he, he sat down and he, he really used his guns in a really intuitive way. And I got so sick of seeing, you know, um, like we had, we were putting out like a Joel Edmondson, Jeff, uh, Joel Edmondson, um, John Merrill pair at the beginning in that Toronto in that Toronto series. And I'm like, we're down. Those guys shouldn't see the ice. Like, you know, we need, we need goals. It doesn't matter if we, if we, if we get scored against because you know, whether we lose, you know, four, two or six, two, we're losing. Right. And so I think that all of a sudden we're seeing him play a lot more intuitively, you know, when, when uh, he's putting out, when we're in a good offensive situation, he's going to put out, he's put out Gustafson with Weber He's just completely changed up his pairings. Uh, obviously, the main pairings remain the same with uh, Petrie, Edmondson, and and whatever. But uh, he all of a sudden is willing to change it up depending on the game situation. And, you know, last night, for example, the Suzuki line was really going offensively. And they took the vast majority of the offensive zone faceoffs. Now, that's a line that sometimes is used in a more defensive role. But, you know, because they're going offensively, Dom Ducharme, it seemed he, uh, he put them in a better offensive situation to succeed. And of course, you know, succeed, they did. So I, I would just say like, yeah, it just, he's just being a lot more intuitive. And I, and I wonder if maybe when we were on the brink of elimination, it was just kind of like, Hey, you know what? Just do whatever you got to do because van's job was on the line as well. And I wonder how much was being dictated potentially by van in terms of what he wanted to see and how to, he wanted to see the team play. We certainly saw that, uh, we certainly saw that uh, goaltender interference call, which, that coach's challenge, which was a little puzzling. But I, I, definitely think that there was kind of a a moment of, you know what, let's just let's just try something, and that's what and that's what as fans we wanted to see. We're like, just do something, go down swinging at least. Don't make this a mayweather Paul fights
2: a <laughs> uh, good comparison maybe, maybe, maybe not something that we want to see too often but yeah <laughs> uh, I agree I think that you know the the you tossed the playbook out he's like, his job was on the line he needed to show other teams that he could be an NHL coach. Mark Bergerac could not say anything because he knew that his job was on the line as well and and going forward he needed to to at least go out swinging. Um, I think this has been, you know, both of them has solidified their roles with this team going forward. The question is for how long?
3: At least another nine years. No, I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that – You know what, though? Sorry, go ahead, Joe. As much as, you know, you you get frustrated by Mark Bergevin at times, it's fun to see him excited again. Yes, right? Like- yeah, but
2: also, we also have to look at it. You know, like we, we can be frustrated and we can look at what other team brings in at the, at the deadline, et cetera, et cetera. But l- look what he brought in at the deadline. Look at the, what he brought in l- before the season started and, and what it meant to go a little bit deeper into the playoffs with a young quarterback yeah well obviously he's the guy but but because we're sweets and we we're, out, we're actually as many Canadians as sweets on this podcast today but but also like you 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 saw Toronto brought in a vet a vet presence didn't work out um we have seen it in other ways but it has actually worked out this time for 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 Montreal and Mark Bergevin. well he brought in
0: you know he brought in winners I, I think that's a key you know Toronto brought in veterans but like Joe Thornton is not a winner. Yeah, unfortunately, through, I'm not blaming him, but it, throughout his career, he just had how many times has he has he been the favorite and lost the series? You know, Jason Spezza, same thing. But but what did Mark Bergman do? He went out and got Corey Perry, Stanley Cup champion. Joel Edmondson. Where would this team be without Joel Edmondson? We talk about Tyler Toffoli all the time, or, or Josh Anderson. Where would this team be without Joel Edmondson? Where would this team be without Jake Allen? You could argue that with Carey Price's injuries, that this team doesn't even make the playoffs if Jake Allen is not a Montreal Canadian. You know, we're you know Stanley Cup champion. You know, you look at you know, Tyler Toffoli, Stanley Cup champion, Michael Frolik, you know, Stanley Cup champion. There's Eric Stahl, Stanley Cup champion. You know, all these players have won before, and I think that there's something to be said to bring in veterans like that. And then add them to your Shea Weber, who is a veteran who hasn't won yet. I mean, he has, this is his first time in the third round of the playoffs. You know, Carey Price, you know, if he plays more than, if he plays one full game, this will be the most he plays in the third round uh, of a playoff series. It's, that. that's the, the kind of thing that Mark Bergerman did. And, and, you know, where would this team be without the additions he made? You, you know, Anton talked about Eric Stahl and, and Corey Perry, but, you know, Toffoli, Edmondson. I mean, you know, Joel Edmondson has been outstanding, right? I mean, when, Cor- when, when Jeff Petrie had one arm, I mean, in, in the Toronto yeah. series, now he has one hand, <laughs> I mean, where, where would this team be about Joel Edmondson? I mean, that that's, we, we, a lot of people complained about that when it happened, but I mean, seeing Joel Edmondson play, you can't really argue with that right now. It, it's just, it, it's, I'm, I'm happy for Mark Bergevin because everything he did made sense. And they weren't getting the results. And you're like, why isn't this working? Like, is, is, is what's what's not working here? And now everything is working. And and it's it's credit to to him. Credit to him believing in Dominic Ducharme. because I uh, you know would this team be in the same situation they're in with Claude Julien as head coach?
1: I, no, I don't think so. No. Uh, probably not. I, I just want to add on that because, as you said, like Mark Bergevin has been. He's been here for nine years. We haven't seen any results. There is plenty of reason why you wouldn't want to renew his contract when it uh, ends in, in 2022, right? Um, just because of the fact that the Canadians haven't won a cup since 93. and But we have talked about this over and over on the podcast, especially this season, that you can't really see that many mistakes in what Bergevin has done since basically since he traded Galchenyuk for Domi, right? Um And then he chose Kotkanyemi and then he uh, got Tatar and Suzuki and all that. But it just felt like the only reason why Bergevin was even on the hot seat was just because he had been here for a long time. And we've seen what he did, all the mistakes he did uh, during the first years. But if you just look, as, as we've talked about before, if you just look at what his track record for the last few years, he has actually been – I don't know who would have done it better. And especially – he he knows this team and he knows that he has – it just feels like I don't know if I want to be like – if you look at New York Rangers, for example, they elected to just blow it up basically now again because they felt like they were too far from making an impact. They actually had more points during the regular season than the Canadians. And they've been in a similar situation of like, you know, doing a kind of reset – and they have a great young core coming up and then they want to change their gm change their coach and i'm just like yeah i don't know what that's going to give you at this moment if we got a new gm here now he want to make he would want to make an impact to uh, to the canadians and make them his team and i'm just wondering like who would they trade in that case uh no i'm just happy that it's worked out the way it has because i'm looking forward to seeing this team with Birch Beness, the GM, and Ducharme as the head coach.
2: We will look forward more between this series and next. Obviously, we hope that uh, Vegas and uh, Avalanche are going the full rounds because uh, tire each other out.
0: That was the the argument that Winnipeg would be rested when Montreal and Toronto went seven. That didn't really work out for them. So, you know, hopefully it goes a very tough six games. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we, we we can do that as well. Uh, Could double
0: overtime in game six? How about
2: that? that? Can, that I'm I'm going to finish with this in 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 some ways. But looking back at the series, obviously that Shifley hit set the tone for the series, and and while the Tavares. Hit, injury was an extreme accident because let's face it it was he took himself and probably winnipeg's best chance out of winning the series right
3: i agree with you it was it was just such a such a a a dirty hit with with just such clear intention i mean people can get up and and get interviewed and and say all the things that they want to say at the end of the day they're just trying to uh eschew the liability of of a hit like that which was just um it, it was just disgusting but you know I think he deserved a lot more, but he got what he got, and uh, and he, he got his just desserts for that because he was ineffectual in the first game, and uh, and completely invisible in the next three.
2: So and and he's been suspended until October now, so it's it's all that as well. It carries yeah, over,
3: it, yeah.
0: It, it, it's kind of funny that it, that it, we went from oh no the suspension you know can see him back in game six and now we're talking about oh he missed the first game of next season <laughs> yeah but uh you know that's that's the way it goes sometimes
2: you can listen to dylan wall uh on on the Habs statistician podcast you can read his uh articles on ice on the Price. obviously we all know anton and jared thank you all for listening uh thank you guys for, for joining me at this early hour in montreal the day after a fantastic series win against the